scripture today is from uh, Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. And I invite you to follow along with me in um, your own Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. God said, Let us make human beings in our own image, as our likeness, so that they can hold sway over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the heavens, the cattle, all the earth, and all the things that move on the earth. So God created human beings in his image. He created them male and female. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that as we reflect on your scriptures, as we hear them, as we read them, as we ponder them in our hearts, not only in this hour, but in the hours to come and the days to come, that you would use them to call us to Christ so that we might be restored in your image. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, You know, for a lot of people, Friday afternoon is not a very productive time of their week. You know, the, the weeks for a lot of folks is almost over, and you're just scraping through, and you're thinking that, you know, five o'clock's going to come soon, and the weekend is on its way. And there's an old saw that if you have a car that has a lot of problems, then it must have been made on, at, you know, on Friday afternoon in Detroit. Um, that's true for a lot of us. Uh, that's not true for me. I love Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon is my favorite time of the week. I get so much done on Friday afternoon, and I've always been that way. When I was in school, that was I was you know hammering stuff out, getting ready for the weekend. Finally, you know, other obligations were gone. Nobody was bothering me, uh, and I could just I could just focus. I could get so much done on Friday afternoon. And then when I was in the Air Force, it was the same way. Finally, the phone wasn't ringing off the hook, and there wasn't this and that and the other going on, and I could get stuff done. And it's true here too. Uh, I'm, I'm excited right now thinking about next Friday afternoon. Uh, the last couple of days ago, Friday afternoon, man, I was getting stuff done. I was finished, you know, I was getting stuff together for the sermon. I was tracking down that big mirror. Uh, I cleaned out my car. It kind of got dirty again. Since then, I rearranged all of my files. Uh, I was completed a bunch of correspondence that I had to. I was getting in touch with uh, about a class I was, I'm going to teach in Jackson for uh, our course of study that's coming up, or, or help teach. I'm kind of a guest down going to be a guest lecturer down there. Uh, I was following up on some stuff from annual conference that I had to do. I was getting stuff done. I love Friday afternoon. Um, and in that very specific way, God is like me. Uh, because God gets stuff done on Friday afternoon. What in the world am I talking about? In the account that we just read, this passage that we just read from the, the creation story in Genesis 1, uh, it is Friday afternoon, so to speak. God has been creating since last Sunday. You remember, think, think the week goes from Sunday to Saturday, because Saturday is going to be the Sabbath uh, for the people of Israel. So the week begins on Sunday. Um, And on Sunday, the first day of creation, God has created light and separated it from darkness. And then God separated the heavens from the waters, that's Monday. And then God makes dry land separate from the water and then created flora, vegetation. And that is Tuesday. And then God sets the sun, moon, and stars 
in their places to, in effect, create time. And that's what we're told the, the purpose of that is. That's Wednesday. Then God creates aquatic life and birds. That's Thursday. And then on Friday, God creates land animals. And then, we would call that Friday morning. And then, as, uh, as the Old Testament scholar John Golden Gate puts it, somewhere, you know, Friday about lunchtime, God decides to make human beings. God makes human beings. We're late on the scene. All this other creation, uh, the sun, moon, and stars, land, and water, and sky, and all of these animals, all of this vegetation has already come into being. But now, the crowning achievement comes. God is getting stuff done on Friday afternoon. God makes human beings in his own image. You know, all through this creation story, we've been hearing God speak. God would say, let there be light, and let there be this, and let there be that, and let there be the other thing. And we hear God speaking things into creation, but now we hear God speak in a different way. We get an inside track on the mind of God. We hear God not speaking outwardly, but speaking inwardly. We hear God talking to himself. God says, let us make human beings in our image as our Likeness. This is a special act of deliberation, John Golden Gate calls it. This is the crowning moment of creation. Everything else after God has made it, he's called it good, but then after God will make human beings and look back on the entirety of creation after resting, he will say that creation is very good. This is the human beings. Creation of human life is the very most special, important, reserved, uh, even holy, I, I might dare to say, act of creation that God does. Now you might be saying to yourself, um, okay, well if human beings are, are uh, made in God's image, uh, and if God made them in a special way, and uh, if God has looked on creation and said that it's very good, then how come, uh, you know, I've noticed, I've noticed that uh, human beings are not very good, and the world is not very good. I mean, there is thieving and lying and murder. There is cheating and pain and just plain orneriness. Surely this isn't the very good creation that God made. And most of all, we, we see death. And surely that's not what God intended. Last week, on June 6th, it was the anniversary of of D-Day, where uh, 4,400 Allied soldiers died on the beaches in Normandy, but that's a bare drop in the bucket. 70 million people died in World War II. Surely that's not a very good creation. We may say that to ourselves, and we may even, even say that to God. And throughout the centuries, people have, have looked on the tragedy of human life and all the pain that and the suffering and death that we know and say, look, Genesis 1 just doesn't make any sense. Human beings can't be made in God's image. Um, and, uh, you know, there are certain folks who will say that today, but that's hardly new. People have been saying that in some way or another ever since people started reading Genesis 1. And this, this apparent discrepancy has led people to say that, you know, really... We're no more than very advanced animals. You know, we're the product of maybe chemical reactions and cause and effect. We're slaves to nature. And they would say that it's foolish to think otherwise. Christians, though, have a different response to this discrepancy. 
Because we acknowledge and own just as much as any atheist that the world is not as it should be. But our response is not to say that we are the bare product of cause and effect and chemical reactions and just a deterministic living. Our response is to say that we are, in fact, made in God's image, but that the human being and all human beings since have uh, chosen to mar that image in themselves, have chosen to reject God, But that the good news, the good news is that the image of God may be restored in us. And so there is, even in the midst of all the pain and tragedy and terribleness that we see, there is hope. So that's what we'll talk about. The fact that what it means for us to be made in God's image. How that image has become obscured, marred, uh, tossed aside in us, and then how the image of God can be restored in us. So what's it mean for human beings to be made in the image of God? Uh, Wesley said that there were three senses in which human beings were made in the image of God. If you've got a pen and you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. There are three ways in which we are made in God's image. We bear the natural image of God, the political image of God, and the moral image of God. So we'll start with the natural image of God. What does it mean to be made in the natural image of God? To be made in the natural image of God means that we are made to be immortal and spiritual beings with certain capabilities that are derived from God. Certain capabilities that are derived from God, that are God-like. That's how the, that was the original intent for human beings, as we see in the story of, uh, of, of Adam. So the first way in which, in which we do this, in which we are made in the natural image of God, is that we, are, we were meant to have an understanding that is, as Wesley puts it, clear, uh, just, clear, swift, and great. In other words, we're made to perceive things as they are, with full knowledge, to do so quickly, and to be able to comprehend a lot of things, all kinds of things. In other words, we were meant to be really, really smart. And Adam, and the story, when we read the story of Adam, that's exactly what we see, because the quintessential example of this for Wesley is what Adam um, does as he uh, tends the garden and carries out the task that God has given him to do to name the animals. God tells Adam that he's to name uh, all the creatures of the earth. And as Wesley points out, I mean, that's, an, that's unimaginable in its scope. All of us working all of our lives probably couldn't do that. That is an unimaginable task. But yet, uh, Adam is able to do that. He is able to do that almost at once, taking in an infinity of objects, Wesley says. That the understanding is, is, nearly, is nearly at least um, well, it's perfect in everything it perceives, and it can perceive all, not necessarily, not human beings aren't omniscient, but they can know an amazing capacity uh, of information. At least that was the intent. Uh, Hamlet would, I mean, we see a glimpse of that even now. Human beings are capable of incredible things. In Hamlet, uh, it's put this way. Hamlet is, it says this, What a piece of work is man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god. I mean, human beings are capable of some incredible stuff even still, but what Adam could do all by himself, 
was even greater. So a perfect under, or, or, or a perfectly made understanding. To be made in the natural image of God means not only, though, that human beings would have a perfect understanding, but they would also have a perfect will because human beings were made um, out of the same substance that God would, was made of, namely love. And we're not talking about sort of a passing affection or just a temporary feeling, but, but human beings were made in the original intent to, to deep down in their character be motivated by love, love for God and then love for others. And that, um, that will that is formed of love, joined with a perfect understanding, means that human beings were, in the original creation, free. If you understand things as you should, and if your willpower of love enables you to do the things that you set out to do, and if you desire the right things, then that means that you should be able to make um, a perfectly free choice. If you think about our situation now, our choices are limited in all sorts of ways by our circumstances, by our lack of knowledge, by our inability to follow through. But the original intention was that human beings were free, that they could choose. They could choose how they would live. And so then with a perfect understanding and a will formed of love and, a, uh, and freedom to choose, the result of that, to be made in the natural image of God, is happiness. Human beings were made to be happy. They were made to enjoy the things that God has made. Very different than how we, we know ourselves now. But that was the intention, that human beings would be able to enjoy what God has given them and to enjoy God himself. That's what it means to be made in the natural image of God. So not only are we made in the natural image of God, Wesley tells us, we're also made in the political image of God. So what does that mean? We don't like that word sometimes, political. What is the political image of God? To say that we're made in the political image of God means that we are made to rule over the earth as God's viceroys, as God's uh, administrators, as his assistants, as those that God has put in charge, and think back to Genesis 1, 26, we are given, uh, the human being is supposed to hold sway, or uh, your translation might say have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the cattle, all the earth and all the things that move over the earth. The, the creation as we see it in Genesis 1 is still kind of wild. I mean, there are uh, teeming animals everywhere. Things aren't yet named. There's vegetation everywhere. And God gives it to Adam to tend the garden and to name the animals, to continue to bring order, to assist God in this continuing act of creation. That is our job. That was meant to be our job, at least, to rule the world on God's behalf. Kings in uh, the ancient Middle East, and really in many places and, and many times, uh, would take an image of themselves and set it up all over the empire. So it would be a statue or a, or a painting or a carving or whatever. And they would be scattered out. Because you may never see the king. You may never see the emperor. But when you looked at the statue, you would know the king's in charge here. That's who is ruling over this place. When I was in the Air Force, it was the same. When you go into any building in the military, you're going to see photographs of the whole chain of command going all the way up to the president. And so even though you know, the president was never going to visit me at the 305th Maintenance Squadron or whatever, uh, 
his picture was there. So we knew that, uh, that President Bush and then later President Obama, he was in charge there, even though physically he was never present. Human beings created in God's image, are, it's sort of like that picture. It's a sign that God is in charge of the world, even though God isn't physically present in the world. God has sent human beings there uh, to be the sign that God is in charge. And that's a way of, of, of um, setting God's rule over the world. God has chosen human beings to do that. That's what it means for us to be made in the political image of God. But not only the natural image and not only the political image, but we're also made in the moral image of God, Wesley tells us. What, what does that mean? Well, that gets in a way back to this idea that we were meant to have wills that were perfectly composed of love, that we would reflect the character of God, which is perfect love into the world. We were meant to be righteous, and Adam in his original creation is righteous and innocent. Um, in another sermon, The New Birth, John Wesley would put it this way, God is perfect in justice, mercy, and truth, and so were the human beings. God was pure, and as God was pure, human beings were pure. Indeed, they were very good. Human beings were to be a sign of God's righteousness into the world. To go back to this mirror idea, if we uh, that you know we we took around and showed you during the children's sermon, if we hold up that angled mirror, uh, and if we are ourselves that angled mirror, the idea is that we reflect God's holiness and justice and righteousness, um, all that God's love that we reflect that into the world. And then that we take what is in the world and we reflect, we reflect that back to God. That we stand in between the God and the world as his moral agents, as the sign of God's deep down character. There's another way to think about this too. If you follow the Genesis 1 story and compare it to other ancient creation stories of about the same time, um, it is has some of the same ideas of the way that the Assyrians and Babylonians and other folks would have uh, told about the creation of a temple. That a temple is created over these days and in these steps. And then the last act of creation in the temp- of, of making the temple, of building the temple, is that an idol, a physical representation of the God, is placed in the middle of the temple. And so to read Genesis 1 in that light, it's like uh, we're being told that the whole earth is God's temple. He doesn't need this one particular place. The whole earth is his temple. And then that physical representation of the God is the human being that God has made. To represent God in his natural image, his political image, his moral image. To be the sign of God's rule and his reign and his justice and his peace. That's what it means for us to be made in God's image. But, but, as you no doubt have noticed, that doesn't seem to be the way things actually are. Um, Why is that? What went wrong? Why aren't we governing the world uh, as God has called us to? Why aren't we reflecting His morality the way that He called this to and created this to, how come we don't have these natural capacities of understanding and will and freedom and happiness that we were created to? Why not? Well, Wesley tells us that the reason why not 
is that um, if we take seriously the idea that the human being was created to be free, that freedom requires real choices. And in a sense, freedom requires a test. And the test was whether or not Adam would eat from the tree. He was told not to. He was told the consequences. But he chose to. And we're not told why. We just know that he did. We just know that the one who was created to be this representation of God abandoned that. used the freedom that God had given him and then abused that freedom. And that in consequence of Adam's sin, the world begins to fall apart, starting with his own person. You human beings are made to be, uh, and we read in the creation story, human beings are not just a body and not just a spirit, but they're a body and spirit that is meant to go together. And in fact, the body comes first, and then God breathes the spirit into the body in the, in the creation story with Adam. So the body and spirit are meant to go together. And so when Adam rejects his creation, his body begins to go awry. And death will come upon him. That's, that's the curse. And what Wesley, uh, the way Wesley thought of this as possibly happening, and he's just sort of, and he knows, he's just kind of giving a conjecture here. But the way he thinks about it, and I think it's a helpful way to think about it, says, you know, after Adam ate of the tree and rejected his creation, uh, rejected the gift of life that God had given him, then his body begins to decay. And the way that he imagines that decay setting upon him is something like, um, and I'm not going to pronounce this word right, I practiced in the car the whole way here and I can't get it right, arthrosclerosis. No, arthrosclerosis. Katie, you're medical, help me. Can you say? All right, okay, there we go. Uh, you know, heart disease, your, your arteries become hardened. They become filled up with plaque. And the way he, Wesley imagined this is that Adam, after he ate the tree, that, that process began to happen with him. He and his body became hardened. And then with a hardened body, with a body that's not working the way it's supposed to anymore, the mind can't work like it's supposed to. And so his understanding goes awry. And since he can't understand things the way he's supposed to, then his will goes awry. He can no longer do the things that he uh, plans to do. He no longer has his affections in the right order. Um, That humans who were made to love exchange their love for grief, anger, hatred, fear, and shame. And love becomes a torment, he says. And our understanding, which should have been perfect, is no longer perfect. We exchange truth for falsehood. And the result of that is that we are, in effect, enslaved. Because if your understanding is no longer perfect, uh, and if your will is no longer perfect, then you can't really make a free choice. Because you don't have the capacity. I no longer have the capacity to make those choices. And then the ultimate consequence is that death eventually follows. Uh, And so happiness can be no more. And if you think about the sins that we commit, so often those come down to not only our failure to bear God's image, but our failure to see the image of God in other people. We begin to treat people instead of as uh, human beings made in God's image who were made to have a relationship with, we treat them as things. Um, When you envy, you value someone as a thing rather than as a person. Uh, When people lust, 
we value others as an object, as a thing, rather than as a human being. And whether that's in person or on paper or on a screen, that's what we do. We treat people as an object rather than as a person made in the, made in the image of God. Uh, I, since I brought the big mirror when I was at Mount Olive, Brant was picking on me that, oh, you've got this big mirror, obviously you have a vanity problem. And that got me thinking too, vanity is treating yourself as an object rather than as a beloved person who is made in the image of God. They didn't get that at Mount Olive because I just thought of that in the car on the way here. Uh, Almost all of our sins in some way or another come down to the fact that we don't treat ourselves and don't treat other people as those who are made in God's image who God loves and has called us to love. And we no longer even have the capacity to do that. We, can't, we just can't do it anymore. Well, what do we do? Do we just wallow in our own imperfection and our own brokenness? Well, we would have to accept, accept the promise of the gospel and the promise of Christ is that we might be restored in the image of God. That's what Jesus came to do. He takes on human flesh to bring the image of God back into our broken and marred and smeared image and to restore it, to bear the image of God perfectly in this life because he's God himself in human flesh. And then his gift to us through the cross is that we might be ourselves forgiven and made new so that we no longer have to suffer the consequences of death, at least not permanently, because we have the promise of resurrection in Christ But that we also, in this life now, in this life now, can no longer be spiritually dead, but can bear the image of God as we were made to, as God had intended from the very beginning. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to restore the image of God in us. So this is a glimpse of the whole gospel, what we're talking about here. What's that look like? Wesley says the first thing that looks like is humility. It is our understanding being adjusted so that we value ourselves as we ought to. Uh, some of us are uh, think of ourselves more highly than we should, right? And uh, humility in that case and seeing the image of God means being kind of brought back down to the level that we, we should actually see ourselves at. But it also means, it also means that uh, for those of us who are uh, lowly, who are going through hard times, who seem... Uh, to be in a low estate, it means that we should recognize that God has made us in his image. And so that should lift us up. That should lift us up. So the first step there is, is humility. And then that, trend, then that is joined with a will that is restored to love other people as God has called us to love them. To see the image of God in them. And what that means is that we are very different from the way our culture and our society, and really all human beings in all time see people. Because what do human beings do? We value some people more highly than others. Um, you know, the president makes the news, but, you know, the guy who is the janitor at the White House doesn't make the news. They're both made in the image of God. God loves them and values them equally. And in our own lives, we tend to, uh, you know, we, we value those often who are, um, you know, better in socioeconomic terms or whatever. But everyone is made equally in the image of God. 
And so to be restored into God's image is to, to open our eyes to that reality that all are made in God's image and all are loved by God and all are called to be restored to be God's people. I think another way that we can, as Christians, live this out is to be asking ourselves in the way that we speak uh, about our world what it means for others to be made in God's image. I'm going to bring up something kind of controversial. And my point, I'm not making a political point here. You can think whatever about these issues. And I think what I'm about to say kind of cuts against all sides. All right? uh, no doubt you know about the events in Ferguson and South Carolina and other places around our country recently where there have been um, various uh, uh, incidents between uh, black people and police officers. And in response to those events, uh, which in some cases resulted in people's deaths, uh, there were these rival campaigns that erupted. And you had the, the Black Lives Matter campaign that was trying to say that, look, black people's lives uh, should be valued and that, that they aren't in our society. That's what they were saying. And then others responded and said, well, you know what? Well, blue lives matter too. Police officers' uh, lives matter. And we can't, we can't forget that. And so People were, go, were loggerheads against each other, just talking past each other in a lot of ways. And then you have the, the All Lives Matter campaign. Said, well, of course, every, everyone's life should matter equally. Um, and all of those things are true. Black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter. But what I notice is missing from that discourse and that way of speaking is one in the way that we carried out those campaigns, we used that as just a bludgeon against other folks. And we didn't see people with whom we disagreed as made in the image of God. And one test for our growth as Christians is to ask ourselves, how do I see the image of God in people that I disagree with and don't like? And the other thing that I notice is that as we talked about those events, whatever you may think of them, and they're complicated issues, so I'm not... That's a topic for another day. Whatever you think about those things, I never heard anyone use the language of the image of God. I never heard anyone say, well, you know, this criminal was made in the image of God or this victim was made in the image of God. I never heard anyone say, this police officer is made in the image of God. I never heard anyone say, well, we should remember that all people are made in the image of God. That way of thinking about our world is absent from our vocabulary um, in this country very often, and especially among Christians. And so part of our job as Christians is to believe and act on and use the language of the image of God in the way that we treat each other. And that can be true not just in the big political issues, things like that, in your daily life. In your daily life, when you encounter people you don't like, you don't want to deal with, who annoy you, who make you angry, who wronged you, do you say that person's made in God's image? Just like I'm made in God's image. And if I'm to be renewed in God's image, then it's my job to share the perfect love of God with this person that God has made. That's the call to us. That's the call to be restored through Christ to love as God has called us to love. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would um, give us a fresh vision of what it means to be made as your people, to be made in your image. 
Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for all the ways that we have failed to bear your image. And Lord, we pray that you would, through the grace of Christ, through our trust and belief in him, restore us to be the agents of your loving rule, of your righteousness, and of your peace. Lord, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.